Fathers and Sorors, the Vice President of the Supreme Council of Amorc, Frater Cecil A. Poole. Reincarnation is based upon the principle that one element or entity of being is permanent and another manifestation of being is not permanent. In other words, something in man has eternal value and goes on functioning regardless of circumstances or environment. We may call this eternal value or entity by any name we choose. Those who accept the theory believe it to be the manifestation of a divine creative force. In Rosicrucian terminology, we use the term soul to mean everything in man that is not material. It is that entity or activating force that causes man to have mind and being and causes the body to be animated or living. The concept of reincarnation antedates the period usually referred to as the span of civilization. When individuals first became capable of thinking, the idea of reincarnation was in theory evolved about immortality. Although there are numerous explanations of man's interest in immortality, many claim that it is no more or less than man's selfish desire to maintain himself, his possessions, and individuality. Man has thought of himself as a continuing entity a being that is not limited to a manifestation in any one single segment of existence. In forming a concept of reincarnation, man believed in values superseding the physical universe. That is, the physical universe existed for the purpose of providing an environment and a medium through which man's soul or soul force could manifest. As far as historical records substantiate our research, Men and women who have believed in reincarnation are usually those substantially more developed spiritually, mystically, and psychically than the average of the human race about them. However, any principle adopted as a religious doctrine may have followers who accept certain dogma with blind faith and without question. There have been religions in the world established by persons who achieved spiritual values and spiritual concepts but whose followers lost sight of the values which the founders upheld. Consequently, at times, religions which believed in reincarnations have thrived. Hundreds of followers accepted the belief without placing any particular value on it, just as many religions today accept doctrines and principles without questioning their source or even the possibility of their having an element of truth. Generally speaking, however, those who have gave thought to reincarnation have been able to see beyond the limitations of the physical universe. They have developed their entire philosophy upon the principle that something exists which is more important than the physical being. The belief was that the soul is a continuing expression from the beginning of time through all being and through all the period that God has ordained time to be and that this segment of soul has utilized various means of expressing itself, each incarnation being one segment of the total expression. 
Among those who have taught reincarnation as a doctrine, there have been some of the greatest philosophers, religious leaders, mystics, and avatars of all time. Repeatedly, these individuals have subscribed to the theory, and to this fact many people point for proof of incarnation. Because so many believed in it, it seems improbable that all those intelligent people could have been in error. However, such is not complete proof. Reincarnation is a man-made theory. Some great religious leaders and philosophers have denied reincarnation. Yet the balance is in favor of those who have supported it. I believe that the thinking of so many men and women which has led them to the conclusion that reincarnation is a fact or a possibility must carry a certain amount of weight. In general, the appeal of reincarnation to the human mind is based upon its logic. It is reasonable for the rational mind to agree that the physical lifespan of which we are conscious at the moment cannot in itself be the end. Belief in values superseding the physical causes man to attune himself to the concept of a philosophy which maintains that the immaterial element or the soul is something that goes on indefinitely. If the universe, as we believe, was actually created by a superior intelligent power or force called God, and it functions as we are aware of at the present time, merely so the human being lives, thinks, and works for a period of four score years and ten, and then all is over, the Creator has perpetuated a monstrous joke. It is not reasonable to assume that energy has been expended in existence for such a temporary limited period. Everything in nature indicates that the life of which we are now conscious is one phase of a greater existence. Therefore, any individual who approaches a subject of reincarnation with an open mind will find it logical that life is a series of manifestations, or that life as we know it is one of a series, and that soul which includes that life manifests in different forms at different times over different periods of time in different places. Logic upholds this type of thinking. Nevertheless, regardless of how logical the concept of reincarnation or how many thinking people have considered it so, logic in itself is not proof of anything. Logic, truth, and reality are not necessarily synonymous. To reiterate my previous statement, reincarnation is a man-made theory. It is a human concept or a human interpretation that we give to a higher or cosmic law. In itself, reincarnation is not a law. It is an effect. The law that exists is the law of karma, which includes the general principle of give and take, of completing a cycle, as evidenced by a common symbol, that is, a serpent swallowing its tail. Karma is the principle or the law behind incarnation, and incarnation is the effect of the operation of the law. The laws that man may establish for one physical incarnation are a matter of man's individual interpretation of one life and one environment. This concept does not apply to the law of karma, which operates at all levels. We cannot deny the existence of karma, nor can we expect exception from its operation. If I put my finger in a fire, I will experience pain. The effect is due to the law of physics, and nothing, no argument will change it. 
However, the functioning of karma is far more extensive than of any law operating only at a physical level. Karma affects not only the immediate present, but periods that lie in the future which will continue to exist as long as there are intelligent entities to be aware of existence. We must not confuse levels of functioning. The law of karma works throughout all things, but not always for the same reason. In other words, man is not burned when he sticks his finger in the fire because of a punishing God. Social and moral behavior does not concern him, as some religions would have us think. God is concerned about our acceptance of the laws of the universe and how we relate ourselves to them. We are to fit into a great scheme, and all parts, we might say, are segments of one great manifestation, like cogs in a wheel. The wheel is more important than the cog, and the concept of life as a whole, or karma existent over centuries, is more important than the mental anguish that may come to a child who stole a dime and feared punishment. Many moral, social, and intellectual concepts are based upon prejudices. Life is more important than any man-made morals or ethics. Karma is a principle that has to do with living, not at this moment, not in this life, but eternally. Without the principle of karma, living would be unendurable. It is the only explanation of human difference and of the problems with which we have to cope. It is the only hope that what we have today may be put to advantage so that we can gain in knowledge and understanding, and we hope in happiness. There is no explanation in any other religion or philosophy for pain and grief, sorrow and misery, for poverty and the many degrading forms of existence except through the operation of the law of karma. A critic of the theory might ask, does God force human beings into pain, poverty, and unhappiness? As I mentioned, circumstances happen on limited levels of manifestation. God does not force me or anyone else into any circumstance. When I put my finger in fire, God does not burn it. This is the important fact to remember. The burn is the result of a manifestation of a physical law. If I suffer pain that seems to be unexplainable, if individuals are born into a social status that leads to misery, poverty, and want during most of their life, it is not God that does it. It is the functioning of the law that is, in its inalterability, a proof of the justice of God, that the law cannot be changed by wishing, thinking, or making supplication, that it works for all, is proof that it will surely work uninterrupted for every individual, regardless of circumstances. Karma is not bound by the limitations of physical time and space. In terms of cause and effect, within a limited length of time, karma is different from cause and effect within eternity just as a disappointing experience in childhood is later realized to be only an incident. Similarly, in the concept of reincarnation, we will look at this whole earthly life, not one but many of them, with the same amused tolerance as we look at a childish incident when some activity we had planned did not turn out as we expected. Regardless of how we may have suffered or of the experiences that took place, a whole incarnation will have no more significance than the childish whim of losing something you thought was irreplaceable. 
the same relative proportionate importance will be placed upon an entire series of reincarnations when measured in terms of eternity. One of the questions often asked about reincarnation concerns its cycles. Our monographs teach that the reincarnation cycle runs in periods of approximately 144 years. We must remember, however, that this is a man-made approximation based upon evidence believed to be reliable. Nature functions according to laws only a part of which we can perceive. It does not function on the same schedule as some man-made things. For example, during the past few months it is supposed to have been fall and winter, but yet nature has not acted in that manner. We have had comparatively good weather. Nature does not always conform to the clock and the calendar. Summer does not mean perpetual heat, neither does winter mean perpetual snow. Cycles are general. Even the cycles of the year applied to us as individuals do not mean that your seventh cycle is one of doom and your first cycle one of vast opportunity. All periods have their constructive days and offer opportunities in various ways. The length of various incarnations cannot be judged on a fixed basis of 144 years. Possibly over a period of 10,000 or 20,000 years, you would find that the 144-year cycle was worked out at an average, but you may have been incarnated a dozen times in the past three or four cycles. The average is important, and in terms of eternity, they have to be considered over a very long period. We do not know enough about the theory of cycles to be specific. They are not too important, neither is the number of incarnations. It is what we are doing with the present cycle that has immediate value. Another question frequently asked concerns the relationship of memory to reincarnation. Why can't we remember the specific events of our reincarnations? The answer is not difficult. Actually, memory is quite limited. It is given to serve us in certain ways, not to be infallible. Most of us remember few events of our childhood. Barring something unusual, it would be difficult to recall some event which occurred at the age of ten. Without some outstanding event with which to associate another event, we probably could not isolate a specific time as to years. Who remembers events of the first year of life, or even the second or the third? We frequently wonder why memory is so elusive, particularly when trying to think of something we feel we should be able to remember. If memory is elusive in one physical life of experience, how much more elusive would it be over a period of many lives? One reason for memory to be elusive is its association in practice with language. Although in our monographs we are taught to visualize and not depend on language exclusively, most of us do not follow this advice. It is easier to think in words. Almost all our memory and association with environment is in terms of language. We think, we daydream, we live, we exist to ourselves in language. Without language, we could remember only a few events. Therefore, we cannot recall much that happened when we were three years old. With a limited vocabulary, we were unable to verbalize our experiences, to put this concept into psychological terminology. As we grew old enough to put into words all that we experienced, our memory became more specific. Therefore, in even one life, 
unless we can depend upon a reasonable vocabulary, we cannot depend upon memory. Let us go a step further. Suppose that your last incarnation on this earth was approximately 150 to 200 years ago, or during the 1700s. You may then not have spoken your present language. Even if you did, let us say that you lived in New England during the period prior to the Revolutionary War, and were now listening to a conversation by your contemporaries of that time, or had a recording of it, you probably would not understand it. English has changed, particularly in its oral expression, as have all other languages. Most of us realize changes in language in our own lifetime, but do not think them too significant. The English of 200 years ago was different from that of today. Also, the chances that you were incarnated in an English-speaking country are remote. You may have spoken other languages, even such as may not exist today in the same form. Because of this language barrier and our tendency to carry memory in terms of language, little of an incarnation can be recalled by our present consciousness. Language is a most useful tool, but to put experience in terms of it is a limitation mentally, physically, and psychically. Consequently, in the Rosicrucian monographs, we are taught from the very beginning to learn the importance of visualization, to learn to put every experience into some symbol in addition to words, so that we can gain and accumulate permanent knowledge that can be carried over from incarnation to incarnation and from experience to experience without the necessity of having a dictionary. Because language is a man-made tool, useful it is true, but still man-made, it is a limited tool. The storing in memory of events and experiences in terms of language is one of the most limiting factors that civilization has brought upon us. Man is not able to bring his experiences consciously from one incarnation to another, or even from one experience to another, without putting all his knowledge in language, and in that process he sometimes misses the most important part of knowledge. Those who have had experiences that seem to confirm some of the principles of reincarnation usually have memories in terms of events and circumstances that are rather vague and do not make a complete picture. A passage of music or a picture may seem to cause one to feel related to a familiar situation. More may be spoken through the arts than through language. The course of existence is complicated. St. Paul made the statement to the effect that we see today only darkly. We have only a glimpse. No one can completely bridge the gap between knowledge existing beyond the limitations of our physical environment and the knowledge now available to us. We will go on as long as we live, asking questions that are unanswerable. But by moving in the right direction, we may come to a greater future realization. We possess the knowledge to move on, to throw off limitations such as dependence on language as a means of memory. We should keep in mind that our speculations and theories are man-made, but we should remember that immortality is a condition of perpetual existence. There is nothing to fear in death as it is ordinarily referred to. Death is a transition for which we should be constantly prepared, but we should not expect it momentarily and thus forsake good judgment and benefit of living today. Transition is inevitable. From the moment we are born we begin to die, and the length of time it takes is the lifespan. 
When the time of transition comes, we will move on into new experiences and opportunities to participate in new problems. But the whole is greater than the parts. We participate in a vast scheme of things which is known as the universal or cosmic being. The Rosicrucian concept of reincarnation shows us how to prepare for the challenge that is ours, to live to the fullest extent that life offers. Immortality is life, not ours to give or take, but ours in which to share as a continuing entity, a being not limited to one single segment of existence.